0: The following program is brought to you by We Are Many. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org.
1: Part of the reason why I really wanted to be on this panel um, with Dan Lane is because I know that Dan Lane is far too modest to um, let you know the tremendous role that he has played um, in the labor movement and how important and what an honor really it is for us to have him speaking with us this weekend. If you uh, pick up the most recent copy of uh, Jeremy Brecker's book *Strike*, you will—it um, has a section on the 1990s labor struggles—and you will see a photograph in there with uh, Dan Lane um, and another person that may be familiar to you, Ahmed Shaki, our, our comrade, being pepper sprayed by the police in the middle of a solidarity um, rally uh, during the Decatur. Uh, it was called the, um, uh, what was it called, the war the war zone, that's right, the Illinois war zone. And so I guess I just wanted to say that, um, you know, the 1990s, if you just look at it in terms of the strike levels, you'll say, wow, what a peaceful, you know, peaceful time. But actually, at that time, even though the strike levels had dropped significantly, The truth is that the class war was raging throughout most of that decade. In 19, and actually these are some of the bitterest struggles, hardest fought struggles in the history of the US labor movement. And that's why we think it's very, very important um, for people to understand that now as we're seeing maybe the labor movement begin to pick up on a larger scale that it's very important for us to understand what paved the way um, for this, uh, for the, the lessons that are guiding the struggles today. Um, in 1993, the class war broke out in Decatur when the Staley, uh, the Staley Corporation, which is uh, where Dan was working at, at the time, locked out its workers. And for the next two, two and a half years, they fought a bitter battle. And as, as, as uh, um, Darren said, they formed, I mean, they fought. For them, this was not, again, we, ta- we had a session on mass strikes yesterday. The mass strike is never simply about the point of trad- production, but a, it becomes a social struggle as well. They looked to Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement which was very much a big part of their struggle. They formed the road warriors who literally traveled all over the country. That's how we first met Dan Lane. He came to... Uh, one of our conferences, and he was, uh, he was kind of um, disappointed that we weren't a little more lively of a group. He's like, come on, this is the class war. Come on, guys. And he taught us, um, and I'm going to, later when it's time to introduce Dan, I want us to do the solidarity clap that is still with us today, and at every single national meeting that the ISO holds, including, um, you know, uh, the, this weekend, we end every major meeting with the Solidarity Clap, and it is Dan Lane who brought us that tradition. Um, Indicator also, you know, at this, very soon thereafter, in 1992, there had been this bitter strike of caterpillar workers. That ended in a stalemate, and for the next couple of years, they fought inside the plant. Then in 1995, they went out again, and they were out for uh, 18 months and the UAW surrendered without a contract, okay? All these struggles, you're gonna hear, went down in defeat. 1994, rubber workers at Bridgestone Firestone went out on a 10-month strike. In the year 1995, one in four families in the city of Decatur, Illinois, was either out on strike, locked out, or had been permanently replaced by a strike-breaking worker. That's the kind of impact. You want to talk about class war? Class war was, uh, you know, it was it was imposed upon the working class of Decatur, Illinois. Then in 1995 to 1997, you saw the same scenario playing out in Detroit, Michigan, um, with a strike against Detroit's two main newspaper, and that again, it when it becomes a war of attrition, which is what these were, the company. You know, whatever the enormous capacity for solidarity that was shown during all of these struggles, the fact is that that alone was not enough to save off these corporations that had, that. number one, were hell-bent on destroying these unions, and number two, um, possess all the weapons of the class war, of their side of the class war, from court injunctions, which they used uh, liberally, I say that as a, um, an ironic um, uh, statement. They used the police. As we know they locked out the Staley workers. These were This was corporate America at its worst and that's why these workers, we have to understand, even though they did not win their struggles, they did not fight in vain. When we say that we stand on the soldiers of giants, the truth is that we are talking about the labor heroes who sacrifice everything, and I mean families sacrifice everything to advance the cause of labor. And again, it was not fought in vain, not simply because of the lessons that we all learn that we carry on um, in the struggle today, but also that by 1997 things began to look up for the labor movement. We started to score a couple of victories, like the 1997 Nationwide UPS strike that uh, saying part-time America doesn't work that was that was supported by huge majorities of the population. Then you know then General Motors uh, there was a strike that brought General uh, North American General Motors to a standstill, and then of course in 1999 there was the Great Battle of Seattle, which involved workers and um, and students and and really was a big part of launching the global. Justice movement. And so that's why I just want to say it is such an honor for me personally to be able to introduce one of these heroes today, Brother Dan Lane, and I want to do this, welcome him with the solidarity clap.
0: At that particular time was uh commuters computers were not really something I was real familiar with or, or actually, actually a lot of people. And uh so but now I, I carry a computer in here tonight and uh this evening and uh, a laptop, but at the same time, you know, age takes its has its impact on you. And uh I think I got my medicines mixed up this morning, so if I start nodding instead of joining, it's the medicine. That's all. It isn't my lack of enthusiasm or anything else, it's the medication. Anyway, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, as Sharon said, there, and particularly in the, the Midwest and Decatur, uh, uh, to me, it was probably standing back 15 umpteen years later and looking at what happened in Decatur uh, it is, it is pretty amazing because probably nothing like this had happened since the 30s depressions where people of different uh, unions, uh, in communities, all of a sudden had kind of collectively come together to fight against the boss. Each one of them having basically kind of a little bit different interest, but yet at the same time having the same interest. And, and at some point, everybody realized that. I mean, uh, it was at the point where after we had got started, the doors were open. Our regular solidarity meetings where we conducted business talked about uh, different things going on. Uh, it wasn't in, unusual to find several uh, steel workers or several of the UAW workers. And in fact, we're there quite often, and uh, as well as families. And uh, it was a very, I think, unique in, re- in respect the way it was approached. Uh, in looking at this, uh, CJ Hawkins and uh, Stephen Ashby has written have written a book. Uh, I don't even know what the name of it is. Uh, Staley the uh, see that's not my my medication there's my eyes too so excuse me for a minute. Yeah yeah, the fight for a new American uh, labor movement. that's uh, yeah, about four or five, something like that. But, but the point is this 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 went on for approximately three and a half years. Maybe that's my point. They've written a book, and and I can go through there and tell you that as good a job as they did as far as putting together the book, there's a lot of things they they haven't talked about. There are some things they kind of talk about that I don't think they spend a lot of time on uh, that I felt was a little more important. And so some of the things I'm going to talk about today isn't so much to, uh, I think, is to address, which oftentimes are not talked about and in our struggle, uh, some of the themes, like I said, that people try to stay away from. Because uh, you know it's real nice to kind of elevate a struggle and say, yeah, the workers are out there kicking ass and everything like that, and some reason, uh, they got the plug pulled, and uh, boo-hoo-hoo, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, and, and it's much more involved in that. And I think because of it is, the sophistications or the complications of that kind of struggle of those inner workings, it's, it's, it's something people need to know. Because I will say to you, my ability to understand that at the time, because of my limited experience, i would never been in a fight, uh, a, a labor fight. Okay? So this is like a first-time thing for me. The local itself, had been, it was in 1970, this is 1992, so it had been 22 years before they'd even, since they'd had a, a labor dispute. And some of you that have been going to some of the meetings around labor issues, you know that 1970-75 was a particularly interesting time. And one of the things that happened there, that when you look at what was, were the walls that were kind of constructed in front of labor, uh, some it was legality, uh, and that being mostly was the ability to strike over a grievance, wildcat, whatever you want to call it, and it was a means where I could go out. Wildcat tomorrow, I went through the process, I talked to the company, we didn't agree, went back and took a boat. Guys, said, we can't accept that, so it was at that time the company was notified, you know, unless we can come to some other kind of deal, we're on the streets. And it was very powerful. And, and, and it, it kind of took a little bit of their edge off, too. They weren't so quick to go out and fire somebody. They weren't so quick to do this, to launch new programs everything, because they knew there could be uh, some pretty negative uh, impacts on them. Uh, so Decatur, where all this had taken place, like I said, this is a 1972, or excuse me, 1970. Uh, from 1970, state that I probably should tell you, for those who don't know, is, uh, is uh, uh, what they call a wet mill industry. And basically, they do this grind corn, and it's a wet process, and they separate it. Basically, what comes out on the other end is different types of syrups, sweeteners, that type of thing. Uh, it's uh, important to know because it's located basically about 450 acres, it's spread out everywhere. That's uh, If you don't have any kind of idea what that was if you're in Chicago, probably about four large squid, uh, city blocks, Maybe I don't know, probably more than that from to think of it, it's probably about twice that. But anyway, it's, it's a pretty good sized area. Uh, buildings spread everywhere, uh, pipes running here and there, uh, the pipes carrying steam, carrying liquid and everything, and obviously since the... The building was built in the early uh, 1900s, it was wrapped in asbestos, Uh, there were chemicals being used because that's the nature of converting cornstarch into uh, syrup, you have to use chemicals. And so there was the exposure to chemicals that we had to deal with, there was the whole issue of asbestos, there was uh, equipment that had not been kept up, Uh, death is a result of that, and strangely enough for 22 years we just kind of You Know we're pissed, but we really didn't know what to do. Uh, Jim Beals' death as a result of contract language that said, Hey, if you're a mechanic, uh, there's no longer going to be any jurisdiction, so if you're we're we're all a mechanic versus being an electrician or a pipe fitter, etc. He went into a vat, the vat uh, valve fell, Uh, he was overcome by ethylene oxide and was almost killed immediately. Uh, that, in itself, was probably one of the big catalysts, because it's surely before the contract and, and uh, two years before the contract got people thinking, like, what are we doing to ourselves? You know, this, this is killing us, basically. Uh, Staley's uh, loaded up a team of high-powered lawyers, high-powered uh, human resources, and uh, came in, and and with the whole intent of basically wrecking havoc on the local. And um, the local itself, uh, knowing the contract didn't expire until 1992, had started taking some steps of trying to understand what we were dealing with. Now, one of the things that was very clear in our mind, or the message had gotten across over and over again, is don't go on strike. You go on strike, they're going to permanently replace you. Now, the thing is, I, I don't take that as anything slight because the fact is permanent replace is, is a very tough sound. And when you're in your face with that proposition of walking out and never having a job again or staying in and breathing asbestos and chemicals, uh, you know, uh, and say, versus feeding your family, for example, you make choices to take care of yourself a lot of times in spite of it. Uh, So but we were at a place where we didn't feel that was an option. And we called in uh, consultants uh, from the University of Indiana, Iowa. We talked about our situation. We looked at it really hard. Uh, End result was? We brought in uh, Ray Rogers and uh, Jerry Tucker, and I'm going to kind of really brief some through some of this background because, uh, like I said, there is a book. Uh, I'm not getting any royalties, but I wouldn't recommend if you're really interested to read it because I think it, like I said, it's really good. But anyway, uh, but there's two different things going on here. Ray Rogers, Jerry Tucker, Jerry Tucker, or excuse me, Ray Rogers was brought in basically. Uh, we were kind of at a loss. He was kind of, uh, you know, suggested that we strongly he might be the person to look at. Uh, the Allied Industrial Workers, who, who was our international, said we didn't got no money. And uh, there's another thing they didn't say is that we don't want to get involved with something that gets too mean, too ugly because the legal ramifications that we may be held responsible, and so we don't want to take that chance. Uh, so Ray was brought in. Uh, Ray, and I'm telling you this not to embarrass him or anything like that or put him down, but I just want you to understand how serious we were. Ray charged us $28,000 a month. A month. Not a one-time fee. 28000 almost $30,000 a month. Uh, we paid it. We paid it gladly. And the reason we paid it gladly, because we did not see any way we could not find an exit out of the room. And what he said didn't necessarily make a lot of sense, <laughs> okay? But it said possibly that something could be done. Now I say that kind of sarcastically. There, Ray did have a history. He was involved with the J.P. Stevens strikes. If anybody uh, familiar with well, I can't think of her name right now, Norma the Ray. Norma Ray. Uh, he was involved in that, helping him get the contract with the textile workers. Uh, he was also involved with, I think it was Camel Soup, and anyway, a couple others, and he kind of had a 500 record, basically, as far as him getting contract versus not. He was at Hormoro. Hormel, didn't get a contract, and it was very bitter. Uh, he was also in uh, uh, Maine, at the J. Maine plant at the International Paperworkers. Okay, so it was kind of a mix, but right now, that was the only thing option out there. Anyway, we ended up hiring, Ray. Uh, We basically took on $50 a month extra dues. Uh, And so our dues jumped up. But again, no big deal, because we had to have a chance. I mean, that's that's what it was. It was a chance. And some of us, I think, as far as uh, people out there, some of us being veterans, some of us just kind of being street people, whatever. I mean, there's always that sense of struggle, that sense of fight. And uh, and it's a disgusting feeling not to be able to to stand up for yourself or feel like that you're unable to protect yourself because it goes further back than that. It's your family, it's your community, it's your brothers you're working next to. These are people you grow very close to over the years, and so it's it's uh, it is a very big deal. And uh, so once the contract hit, just before it came to impasse. Uh, I should say that Ray Rogers, the corporate campaign, is basically what he uh, had proposed uh, to run, which uh, that's what he was about, the CCCI, which corporate campaign incorporated. It's uh, his business. And um, basically, uh, I think the best way to explain it, because I never really have been real clear on it, is that, uh, and I I lived it, so that's that's bad. But uh, basically, it was going after uh, uh, corporate execs uh, or boards that had these corporate execs on them that were tied to somebody. I'll give you an example: a uh, corporate exec with, uh, say, uh, uh, State Farm. The corporate exec is on uh, Bank—I uh, don't know—Bank of America. So we go out and we boycott Bank of America because this guy is uh, We tell people to pull their money out and everything like that. So after a certain amount of time, let's say it works, they go six months. And this is, uh, please stay with me on this because this is very important to everything else I'm going to be talking about. Six months later, the guy leaves, two months later, whatever, right? Well that hasn't impacted you, all that's done is got him off the board. So now you start putting pressure on State Farm, who has nothing to do with us, but State Farm owns 7% of ADM, who owns 7% of the Staley's stock. Okay. And so you can see all the, the hoops that you're jumping through to try to get back to impact a boardroom, basically, to make a decision uh, that they could have made themselves uh, if you had taken other means. So anyway, that was, that was kind of a, a Ray's approach. And like I said, he had had some success. I'm not going to deny that. Uh, the other thing was that. Uh, uh, we had indicator. it started off uh, with Ray, and one of the things that we did that I felt was very successful, was very important, was to get out and I, what I call just paper in the community. We had a crisis indicator pamphlet, it was like six pages. Uh, we went out to the neighborhood, now we're still working and everything, and canvassed uh, approximately 35, 40,000 households, and uh, delivered uh, this uh, pamphlet to everybody. And uh, like I said, it's six pages, so it gave people an insight who we were what the struggle was about, how they were being impacted by what Staley was doing, not only in the community, but in the chemicals out there. And uh, so that, that, was a, that was a major thing. Uh, we reached an impasse. Once we reached the impasse, uh, Jerry Tucker had come, I don't know if it was just before or just after anyway, but uh, Jerry Tucker uh, is, uh, basically introduced an implant strategy to us, uh, work through rule, whatever you want to call it, uh, implant strike. And one of the reasons it's appealed to the meeting was the fact that the end plan itself uh, is the fact that Jerry says, "Look, I'm going to give you the ability to strike, a still draw a paycheck." Now, I mean, I mean that's like having your cake and eating too. I mean, you know, I mean, how could you say no? I mean, you know what I mean? How could you say no? Yeah. So anyway, they the, and and basically the work to rule is kind of very simple. Is like the uh, they make the world rules and we follow them right down to the letter. Uh, also one, one of the interesting things about following the rules to the letter, at some point it started creates a veil out there. I mean, while you're in front of the oh, foreman's office having a solidarity meeting, it's lunchtime, or or it's Sunday morning, for example. We're not in church, so we'll just have a solidarity meeting. Uh, Praise the workers' gospel, and you know, and go forward with our job. You know, so there's always this kind of commotion that, that this being chaos being created, and then this this ends up being a bell out there, and things happen behind that bell. Those things happening ended up a result that, for the six months, uh, uh, the the time this started, by the time it was over, uh, production had fallen off by fifty percent. This is a company that was kicking through over a hundred thousand bushels of corn today to produce their uh, syrup. And the impact was, like I said, it, a tremendous amount of money was lost during that time. Uh, now, during that time, I will say, you don't run an implant without people being united. And one of the things, that, just real quickly, was that we met on a weekly basis. Uh, every week, uh, we were still doing the hand-building. We, uh, build, we were still uh, going down to the banks and everything else. And we were running an implant at the same time. A lot of stress. A lot of a lot of people really hyped up. And uh, but the thing was, you start with a few people and doing things easy. And for example, some of our first actions were like, okay, everybody's wearing a solidarity button a day, or we're wearing a local mm-hmm. shirt. You know, that says local eight thirty seven. Show solidarity. When it was all said and done. Halfway between it, we were taking over meetings that we were required to go to. People were going in with such things as uh, the Mark mask, etc., and everything, and eyes and stuff. And uh, had them on their hand. They didn't have them on. The meeting starts, and all of a sudden, everybody pops them off. So, so solidarity. You know, those type of actions to get in the face of the boss. You know, And it led up to the fact that that strike that everybody didn't want to go on, uh, because of a safety concern that people, a wildcat was called or a safety stand down was called and people walked out. I would say at that point we were probably at our high point. People were marching together, people were working together, etc. Now, the, 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 the thing that I want to uh, touch on uh, is, so if it was going so good, what happened? You know, what happened? I call them bad choices. Uh, Two major things that I've seen happen right away. First, when we came out, we were meeting every week. We were at solidarity meetings. People were sitting there. They were talking. They would break-up into groups uh, according to visions. They would discuss actions that were going to happen in the plant. They would carry them out. They would come back out the next week. They would tell what happened. Uh, also on the side, we were taking reports what was going on with production, etc. You know, this is like a very disciplined run uh, struggle. At this point, we come out. The ball's been dropped. What do we do? The that morning at five o'clock, when the strike, I had got a phone call. Went up to the hall and everything. We've been locked out and basically what our, our leaders said uh, at that time, and I was one of them, but the vast majority of leaders were saying, whoops, we've gone too far. But they weren't saying whoops, they were pissed. The last thing they wanted to be was locked out, strike, any type of actions. They, they actually really didn't even support the end plan. It, it, it made them very nervous. The fact is that we were doing things like this. Uh, I was fired during that period of time, uh, as well as other people. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I said we were paying $50 for Ray. We were also paying another $25 into a strike fund on top of that. So we were paying over $100 a month on uh, dues. And, and, in fact, once the strike or the, the, the impasse had came before the lockout, literally everybody was taking their strike or their dues out to the, uh, the, uh, to the union hall because they weren't checking off dues anymore. In other words, the company wasn't collecting them turning them over. They had to take them out. We had like 98% of the people were turning in their dues, no problem, you know. So it it says a lot about where we were at when this lockout happened, I guess that's the important thing. Uh, The other thing is, um, uh, with that, uh, I think the, uh, although the company was hurting, the fact is. we we have one group starting to pull away and i think the biggest thing that says it all is the fact is that it's time that we take this fight back over it is not the floor's decisions to make it's ours as elected leaders to make um and basically that became the push ray rogers was basically told jerry tucker in fact at that moment although jerry tucker was able to kind of finagle back in uh he was told at that time goodbye basically we don't want you around. He was being blamed for this. Well, but no, not blamed. He should have been worshipped. Thanks. But yeah, the fingers are pointing It's time to get rid of him. Get Ray back in charge. CCI will take over. Run the campaign. Everybody go home. Stay home. We'll call you if we need you. And basically that was it. In spite of that uh, and people struggling, I think there was a couple of things also that really, as far as I say, there was those bad choices. We we're going after State Farm. There was uh, another, uh, if you were going to boycott something, Miller Beer, who was responsible for 11% of the profits of Staley's, uh, was not being considered uh, because it basically said, well, if we boycott them and we lose them, then we won't have a job to go back to, or some people won't have a job to go back to. And it's kind of insane because they didn't have a job. So, you know. But the the thing was, uh, some of the things that I note here is that... uh, One of the reasons they didn't support what was going on and why they had a problem from the start, the company wouldn't tolerate these kind of actions as far as the end plan. As an officer, they could be legally and financially responsible. They were afraid to lose face with the membership, so they were fearful of voicing their opinion. For the most part, they felt there was no way to change the company's position regarding the contract negotiations. And also, conditions at work were not going to change And our focus should have been on severance pay and retirement. Now, what really bothers me about this whole thing is the fact is that was never spoken outside of the office. That was what was talked about in here. And I want to kind of turn this another way, too. Uh, I feel that one of our failures, I'm talking about the activists was that because we had never really been into anything like this, that the whole idea that solidarity was a must, we couldn't break it down. We didn't want to question it because of the fear of the unity breaking up. I mean, you know, and 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 there's 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 you know, uh, there's always that possibility. I mean, no doubt. Once you get into disagreement, but the problem was when it really comes down to it, and you have to really think about this. If you don't confront this issue, is not the issue going to implode on you before it's all said and done, as far as the local, because they're going to surrender, otherwise. So if you're not, good, people are not going to understand why you elect different leaders, why you need to do something different, why uh, the targets you're shooting at have nothing to do with winning the fight, etc. You know, you got a problem. Uh, the other thing I want to just kind of touch on here, and I know we're kind of running out of time, and some of this other stuff can talk about through the questioning, but uh, one of the things is the radicalization, I think, of the membership. Uh, and I just kind of move, move this along a little bit. It's a, I have read it. I, 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 instead of uh, trying to recall of it, I'll just read it here. I think it'll uh, be a little faster. I remember traveling to Milwaukee and staying with a skilled worker from a Briggs Stratton plant. As I traveled through this home, I crossed a large viaduct in the middle of the city. And as we drove, elevated high in the air, the vision below looked like a war zone. Blocks of industrial buildings set, crumbled, and, and empty. Most windows were broken, trash and debris scattered everywhere. It was dirty and it looked like death. I guess in a way it was death. I wondered how many lives had been destroyed or wrecked caused by the loss of work. As we entered our host's home, I saw a front page newspaper article about the death of a young black junior high student. He was shot to death while playing basketball in the schoolyard. The man who murdered him was in his 40s and white. His comment in the paper, his comment without any remorse was, that's one less of it. Yeah. The world was uglier that day. In the morning, we met with a group of textile workers who were from South Central America. Their appearances revealed, their difficult struggles of their life. While sitting with them and telling my story, their expressions vacillated from their solemn and tired to soft smiles and then to the pain. I realized they were reflecting me. As I finished, I did not mention we needed funding. I felt as if I should help them. Without any prompting, their stewards started speaking in Spanish. I soon explaining more about what our struggle was about. Then, They purchased 10 t-shirts. I was touched. It was a very hard trip, emotionally. And yet, I was strengthened by these beautiful women. Workers who traveled were becoming more radicalized in order to, to minimize cost, maximize return on donations. Often, they were invited to stay with other workers in their homes. This new exposure to left politics, people of color, inner city, opened many eyes, and they started to understand we were all one big union. An example: one trip took to fifties uh, white men to Harlem in New York, and to really appreciate this, it, they weren't just white and fifties. But they, they they're just, their build and everything, I mean, they were so stereotyped that it was unreal. I mean, you know? <laughs> they operated out of a home and slept on the floor of a couple who were lesbians. Our lives had truly changed. I was reading this to my wife, and for a lot of people, you know, maybe at this age, sometimes it's uh, kind of hard to understand what that really means. But at that time, in a place like Decatur, Illinois, lesbians were talked about on the news or uh, 60th, uh, 60 Minutes, or something like that, newsreel or something like. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't. I, I'm not I'm sure there were lesbians in Decatur, but I mean, it's not exactly like you walk around with, uh, "Hey, I'm a lesbian," right on their shirt. And it was just like there was no context for any of that, you know. And uh, so, yeah, the impact is unreal. And Workers began to realize that they were a part of a universal struggle that was ber- bigger than s- the daily struggle. It was an emancipation of the worker spirit to become aware of the equality of all workers, no matter their sex, color, or culture. As road warriors traveled throughout the country, our minds and hearts would grow because of our new awareness. The message of the justice indicator evolved to the workers' gospel of an injury to one is an injury to all. And because of time, I'll just touch Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, my meds are starting to kick in, so okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, another thing I would like to touch on, and which I think is uh, important, so is um, one thing that doesn't get talked to about a lot is, uh, is one day longer a death rattle? Yeah. Is one day longer a death rattle? You ever heard that slogan, one day longer? Uh, okay, yeah. Time is critical to success of labor struggle. During implant struggle, workers have more latitude with time. They do not have the financial stress, as do the locked out workers, uh, or excuse me, as, uh, or the workers that are locked out or on strike. Loss of union can, can su- suffocate a spirited fight back. In fact, it is a brutal weapon that the boss relies on, which he can use to prevent or crush any strike. <coughs> Standing around a farborough on a bitterly cold night, wondering how you will feed your innocent children who may become collateral damage. The fear of loss of your home or the inability to provide for your family makes it easier to accept the boss's offer. Unfortunately, we gave it little, we gave it little consideration uh, until the lockout occurred. Ray Rogers' presentation did a broad, broad brushstroke of the hundred thousands of dollars, even millions, that the CCCI would raise. The funding of the fight would be facilitated through a mass mailing to union and requesting economic assistance. There would be an adoptive plan, a family, a monthly check, for families with the greatest needs being be accommodated first. There would be a food bank to eliminate some of the financial burdens, a general outreach as we extended the breadth of the fight. We accepted Ray's plan without debate, and it's not a bad plan. But, in fact, some of the logic to starts to surface with a one-day-longer strategy, which was Ray's, okay? These principles were not debated until much too late in the fight. Consider is anybody a mathematician here? Good with numbers? It's real quick. Okay. Uh, annually, if I raise $500 million, excuse me, $5 million, eh, 500 million, wow, uh, <laughs> and I need to divide it between 760 workers, and I want to do that weekly, what would that give me per worker? Okay, we're out of time. $125 a week.
1: (laughs) Oh, you knew me. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just seen if you were awake out there or not.
0: (laughs) All of a sudden, everybody... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But we're running out of time, so I can't wait. So anyway, it's $125 a week. A ton of money, right? Uh, That's $416,000 a month that you have to raise to provide $125 a week. $125 a week... I think if it fits, you have know, fixed, I know a mathematician could figure this one out. It's like $500 a month, right? Okay. And with $500 a month, is there anybody that is renting something for less than $500 a month? Or buying something for less than $500? Okay, one. Yeah, it's paid off or something, probably, right? No, I don't know. I live in the ghetto. I pay $425 a month. Okay, okay, good. So if you were in, in the ghetto, and you had to pay $425. It gives you $75 to eat on, to pay the water bill, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? That's my point. Okay, it's not a lot of money. Uh, the thing is, and why this is important is the fact is that has to be part of the planning, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, concerned. And 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 I will say to raise credit. Uh, that there were a lot of families as a result of his program that money was generated and the only reason they made it through because of programs like Adopted family uh, funds raised by such as coming to the ISO programs and uh, you know taking up offerings and stuff like that, offerings, we're back to church again, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and it did help some people. We had some people, I mean, you know, 760 people There's going to be somebody that's got kids or a wife or a husband that's got some real issues, uh, health-wise or whatever, or you have large families that you can't take care of, et cetera, right, Uh, on that kind of money. So, yeah, it was important. But uh, the following questions should have been asked, in my point of view. A, what is the critical amount we need to sustain the fight outside the gate? That's before you even hit the, 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 the gate, before you start the struggle, anything. These are questions up front. How, do we, how are we gonna get through this if we're locked out? If we have to go on strike and we miscall it, we don't get back right away. What is the expected time to generate the level of income needed? That's kind of important because I don't know how many have been involved with mass mailings or anything or going around and talking to people that first you know, introduction out there to the world and everything, that doesn't happen overnight. It just doesn't happen overnight. So it takes a while to start building that up, and especially if you're only starting once you get out versus, you know, when you're in. The topics of finances were generally avoided or used as a hammer to control membership. So a lot of times, that's why they are avoided. Uh, one person once said, let's take them out for a week, let them vent, and then we'll run them back in, and they'll be fine. Because why? They don't have a check. You know, and that's true in a lot of cases. It's a great strategy if you don't want your workers causing trouble. You know, uh, today, and why why this is important. I think this whole idea of money, time, taking that all in consideration, is because basically, we're working in a in a in a community out there today, of where we're dealing not with the neighborhood boss. is at one time they lived indicator the family lived indicator that's all that was well, it was there what was indicator uh, but it became international and what we feel what we end up dealing with is that a boss that's in another country that's surrounded by media consultants and a team of suits located in large urban areas you know 44 floors of a skyscraper and they have a plan and that's the question if you're going to fight them and they got all that do you think you need to stop and plan these things out? Talk about them, think about them. And it is about getting people involved to do that. There's no, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that you know, you're the one that's got it. It's about getting people in there and thinking about it, exercising their mind, and coming up with things, and, and, and realizing what they're getting into. And it's not to discourage fight, just the opposite. I'm thinking fight, fight smarter, OK? I mean, my God, if you got to give this up and you got to give that up as far as your own personal thing, and you may give up your job for the rest of your life and everything, you may be blackballed forever, you, you make it worth it. Make that shot worth it. And uh, last moment here, because they're flashing the cars now, and they said, hi, we were just kidding. Time's up. <laughs> but just, just uh, real quickly... Uh, I would like to just say again, and I haven't talked much about him, but uh, just, again, his name. Uh, At Staley's, we were able to accomplish what we accomplished through the guidance of Jerry Tucker. If Jerry had not been there, nothing probably would have happened, or it would have been just a boop, and that was it. Uh, Jerry, because of what happened in Decatur at the Staley plant, uh, in the caterpillar plant and the fire stove plant and other people were looking at us in the community and even when we traveled and it was like people would get in contact with Jerry and think oh man this is going on now, how can we deal with it the Briggs and Stratton plant Milwaukee etc so the fact is although at times it hurt no doubt when that strike was over you walked out you had nothing you blackballed in the community and everything and uh, it's kind of hard sometimes to sort through all that and figure like, how did I come out of this? And, and sometimes you even ask yourself, was there a value to it? And uh, uh, at some point, hopefully, you know, everybody, I've been able to do that to be able to step back, get far enough away from it that I can understand it better and realize, like, uh, the important thing. And, and just like I was talking about the radicalization of people that I've seen in my life, and I mean, you ain't got enough time. You really don't. Uh, I mean, I can tell you uh, socialist plays I went to, uh, you know, uh, things that I was exposed to that I'd never heard, the messages, you know, just constantly uh, staying up all night talking with people that want to know about our struggle and that we're exploring different things with them about their experiences and stuff. So uh, when it was all said and done, uh, the only thing, or the main thing that I came away from was Basically three points, and they're basically organize the troops, then organize the community. Two, organize the troops, and organize out of the community. Three, organize the troops. Thank you. <laughs>